about it. So what we're going to do today is we're still in this course and we're going to kind of wrap some Christmas themes into it. This, this little series we're doing is called I Believe in God But. And we're exploring the gap between what we believe and what we experience and how we live out our faith. And, and oftentimes that gap can be pretty large in our lives. And so one of the things that, that you get around Christmas is, you know, people want to keep Christ in Christmas and uh, because, you know, they feel like commercialism kind of pushes Jesus aside. But Christmas is really all about Jesus. And, and I know people, because I've had conversations with people about this before, where people go, I believe in God, but I'm not sure where, to, where Jesus fits in that. I've actually had... A number of conversations with people who've come to the vineyard for a while, and they go, I, I believe in God now. I've been around, you know, churches, and I've come to the vineyard, and I just need you to explain to me how Jesus fits into all this, because you guys are always talking about Jesus. <laughs> and who is Jesus? I mean, I've, I've been around church, but I'm not sure I get who Jesus is the way you guys talk about him. So that's a big, that's a big question to answer. And so I want to just talk about that today because there's a man in one of the Gospels who actually was wrestling with that question. And he was a good man, a moral man, he was a very learned man, a man of real deep faith. And when he encountered Jesus, uh, all these things were awakened in his life. But he didn't know where Jesus fit into that. And he had, a, he had his own faith tradition that he'd been raised in, and he was trying to figure out, what do you have to do with that? Because it seems like you have something to do with it, but I'm not sure how it works, how, how it would work for me. So I want you to open your Bibles, look at John chapter 3. And we're going to read John chapter 3. It's a famous story about a man named, named Nicodemus, and I'm just going to call him Nick. Just seems easier to say than Nicodemus. So we're going to read through this story, and and there there are passages in here that are very familiar, and so you've probably heard these words or phrases before. Or John three sixteen. Yesterday we were watching the football game, and right behind the goalpost there was John three. I hadn't seen it in a while. I hadn't seen a sign up like that, and all of us went, "Oh look." There's the Bible, the famous Bible verse right there behind the goalposts. Uh, get it right on TV for us. So, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work for us. I think, that, I think Michigan State Spartans were holding that sign up. So, okay. Don't feel bad, Jay. There's always next year. Okay, now. Let's go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There's that famous phrase, born again. How many many have never heard that phrase before? Okay, good. We're all Americans here. All right. How can a man be born? So Nicodemus hears that and goes, how can a man be born when he's old? Scratching his head. 
Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus? In other words, he's saying, right. It can't work this way, right? There's no way. Jesus says again, now this is where Jesus starts getting a little pointed. Because again, this man is a, he's a very well-educated man. Uh, He would be, his education would would be on a par with a, a college professor. Uh, these were men who knew the Old Testament and studied it, and, and many of them had memorized large portions of it. They were very, very uh, sharp people. And they were people of real faith, and they were people, too, who oftentimes are very influential and very respected in the community. And so he says, Jesus says to him, and he's a teacher, too. He's a, he is one of the key, the handful of key teachers in Israel. This is a man who knows what he's talking about, but he doesn't even get this basic thing. And this wasn't the first time the Bible talked about this. This was a big theme in the Old Testament. And Jesus is just giving him the ABCs. And so he says, you're Israel's teacher and do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I tell you, if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And that's a a term that that Jesus used for himself. That was like a title, the Son of Man. And it was an Old Testament term from the book of Daniel about about, uh, a figure who would come from God with great power and represent God and, and uh, carry, bring God's kingdom into the world. Then Jesus goes on and says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that word lifted up there is a phrase that was like modern parlance uh, for to be crucified. So when they say lifted up, everybody who heard it would know, oh, the Son of Man is going to be crucified? Like crucifixion? Like Roman crucifixion? And he must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. And Jesus, that, again, he's using a phrase. He's talking about himself in, uh, in, in a roundabout way. Jewish people didn't always speak about things as directly as we do. or They didn't, they didn't directly talk of, use God's name. They would use phrases that described God that, that were like titles. Because they felt like it was disrespectful. To, to, to talk to God, the way a lot of us talk to God. We talk about God's the big guy, God's my pal. A Jew would never say that. They, were, they, just, they would see that as disrespectful. And it's just a cultural thing. I don't mean it's necessarily all that respectful to say God's the big guy. Uh, 
But he talked about himself as light. I'm the light of the world. And so he says, light is coming to the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus as a learner. He's coming as a student. And you know, the, if you notice, the first thing he said was, you're a teacher, you come from God. Nobody could do the miracles you do unless God was with them. And he didn't ask him a question. Do you understand? He, a lot of times people, it was, it was pretty typical for someone to come to Jesus and say, explain this to me, answer this question. He just came, and it's, it's very unusual. This guy's a very unusual person. He just came, and he embraced the posture of a learner. He didn't come with an agenda. But he, he was explaining what he knew, and he was basically saying, you're a teacher. And he was, and this man was Israel's teacher. And if, if you know this about teachers, being one, we're always teaching people things. You're, it, you know, it's what we do. And that was what he did. But look at the humility in this guy right off the bat. He just walks up to Jesus and says, here's all I know about you. Go wherever you want. Say whatever you want to say. And so Jesus started at the whole born again thing. But if you look at that, sometimes people have read this story and they think because he came at night that maybe, you know, he was embarrassed about looking, uh, looking into Jesus and trying to figure out what Jesus might be all about. But since Jesus taught all day and his life was full too, coming at night was probably just an opportunity to be able to speak privately with him and to have some real face time with Jesus because Jesus was surrounded by thousands of people all day long, everywhere he went. There were times where Jesus just got into a boat and just went across the Sea of Galilee to get away from people because they were so fried from the pace of their lives. And, and Jews, you know, had a very orderly lives. They rested on the Sabbath. So Jesus had a, a regular rhythm to his life like most of us don't have. And they rested. But still, the pace on the Sabbath, people would still come. And, and, and as soon as, you know, the Sabbath was over, people were at the door, banging on the door. Pray for us. Help us. You know, my son's demonized. They, they're pulling a kid on a leash, and he's just rolling around on the ground. And, you know, that, that was Jesus' life. And this man comes and just says, Jesus, I don't, I have a deep faith in God, the God of my fathers. And you're a teacher from the God of my fathers. But he didn't understand that Jesus was that, but he was more than that. He was more than that. That's what people don't get, because Christians make so much about Jesus, they go, I don't get it. I don't get why you guys are so into Jesus. In fact, when you are all into Jesus, it makes me feel like I'm wrong because I'm not into Jesus. I'm into God. And it sounds like, you know, you say I'm missing something. Would it, would it be impolite to say you might want to consider that? And this man came with that kind of attitude. 
he came with this humble attitude. And that's rare. It's rare for someone who is a teacher like this and a person who is used to speaking and people listening to them to come and just be free of the agenda that, that most people have and be willing to say, Jesus, you speak to me. And when we come to God, I mean, the, the simple, one of the application points you could take away is a lot of times we don't connect with God as deeply as we could because we don't come with this kind of open-heartedness. Now, it's not wrong to have an agenda to want, you know, God to speak to you, to be real to you, whatever. But the thing is, a lot of times, it's our agenda. And we, we just aren't like this man. Our heart isn't quite agenda-free in the way that we should be. And so, Jesus says to him right off the bat that... And, and the man thinks, huh, as, as most people would think in his who had his role in society, he was coming to Jesus, you're the teacher, I'm Israel's teacher, I need some more knowledge from you. And the truth was, he needed more than just some more knowledge and some more wisdom from God. What he needed was, was distinctly different than that. Now, Jesus was going to give him some information, but it wasn't the information he was used to getting. And so Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, when he says no one, do you understand what that means? It doesn't just mean some subset. In his mind, he thought the people who saw the kingdom of God were a subset of humanity. And the Jews were the ones who were specially, you know, called by God to see God's kingdom. And that because they had, were children of Abraham and they followed the covenant and they circumcised their children and they tried to obey the law of Moses, that that was what prepared them and qualified them to see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was where God comes into the world and starts fixing everything that's wrong. Okay, we've talked about the kingdom of God many times. But, and, and Jesus uses a, 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 a comparable phrase. He talks about eternal life. That, that the kingdom of God, to, to enter the kingdom, to see the kingdom, again, these were like idioms for the same thing. To experience eternal life was to experience life as God meant it to be lived. As the life that Jesus was living, Jesus was bringing the life of the kingdom. It came in him, and everywhere he went, everyone who rubbed shoulders with him rubbed shoulders with that kingdom way of life, and he kept inviting people to experience that kingdom through him. Not through just his ideas, through him. And so, you're going to see that, that Jesus takes Nicodemus, who's over here, and curious, and, and knows something about the Messiah and the Son of Man and all this, but he doesn't, he doesn't connect any of those, those ideas with Jesus. And so Jesus starts making him thirsty and, and exposing his ignorance. And he starts moving him towards believing that all of that he's been looking for is going to come through Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is, his whole message was. Everything God has for you, is, and everything he's promised you through the prophets comes to you now through me. It doesn't come through the temple anymore. It doesn't come through the law. It doesn't come through the sacrificial system. It doesn't come through... Israel being a part of the Jewish people and circumcision, it comes through me. 
and through faith in me because God sent me into the world and if you believe in me, you encounter God through me. And it's the only way you can meet him. And so every time people hear that, it just puts you off. And so when Jesus says, no one sees the kingdom, he was saying, Nicodemus, you're not going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. Now, that was the kind of like in-house language that a teacher in Israel would immediately go, what do you mean? Because, and you have to understand that, I'm, I'm going to take you through two stories in the Old Testament real, real quickly, that what Jesus was saying here would bring to mind to a Jew, a Jewish teacher in particular, two Old Testament stories. And each of those Old Testament stories would be understood by this man Nicodemus in a certain way. And, they, and what Jesus was saying was, you don't understand them right. Jesus was constantly doing this. He constantly does stuff to us like this as he shows us, well, we don't get it. And so Nicodemus was spiritually awakened and hungry, but he didn't understand, how does this work? God is with you. I'm drawn to you, but I don't get it. And so Jesus says, you have to be born again. Well, in Jesus' time, people who were Gentiles, who were pagans, who were outsiders, when they would convert to Judaism, they had to be baptized, which is like what John the Baptist did. You'd go to a river, and you'd confess your sins, and you'd be dipped under the water, just like we practice modern baptism in most of the church today. And what it was, it was a, it was a ritual whose roots were in the Old Testament, where there was a man, and the rabbis based the whole practice of, of proselytized baptism on this story of Naaman the Syrian. And there was an, in the Old Testament, in Numbers 5, I'm going to read you the story in just a second. They based their practice of receiving converts into Judaism from the Gentiles by baptizing them because when Naaman the Syrian, as you'll see, who had leprosy, came to the prophet to be healed, the prophet said, go into the river, Jordan River, and, be, and, bat, and dip in it seven times, and you'll be healed. And I'll show you how that, that really, uh, that offended him, put it mildly. And so the Jews based, because he was healed, well, you'll see the story, he was healed. But the Jews based their requirements for people who wanted to convert to Judaism from outside the faith on that. And so Jesus said, you have to be born again because they considered a, an adult, like, like say Jay, Jay's a good pagan. Just playing with you. He's from Michigan, I can say that. Jay is a, is, is, let's just say Jay's a pagan and he wants to follow the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The rabbis would, would instruct him, and then they'd take him to the river, and they would baptize him. And when they came out of the river, they would call him a new... They would, they would say to you, you, you have begun your life over again. You're a newborn child now. Because to, it, was a, it was a symbolic start of a new life. Because when they went under that water, they died to their old life. All their ties and all their commitments ended because when a burial happens someone's life ends and it was a symbolic burial Nicodemus heard Jesus saying I got to go through a baptism 
I have to go through the, the ritual that I've taken Gentiles through? They're Gentile dogs. That was a phrase that Jews used in, 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 uh, among the Pharisees and among the rabbis. They saw the Gentiles as unclean. I have to do that? I'm, I've been circumcised. I've, I've obeyed the law of Moses since I, uh, ever, I heard it in my childhood. I've lived for God. And Jesus is saying, no one... See, they, they believed, that, the Jews believed that those Gentiles couldn't see the kingdom of God unless they went through this process. Jesus is saying, you need to go through it too, Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is going, I don't get that. I'm supposed to start over as an old man? You know, he, he says this. And so I want to go back to this story real quick and read it to you. And I want you to see what, when, when Nicodemus remembered this story, he would identify with certain people in the story. And he would identify certain people in his life and certain with characters in the story. So let me read it to you. Uh, Naaman, I'm going to pick up in verse uh, in 7 or 8 here. Okay, uh, Naaman is a, a famous soldier, a famous Syrian soldier. But uh, and he's, uh, he's a, a, an officer, and he's very well liked in the, the Syrian hierarchy. And so the king of Syria sends Naaman to the king of Israel and says, your God heals, uh, and my servant, Naaman, has leprosy, and I want you to heal him. And so the king flipped out because he thought, oh my gosh, you know, this, <laughs> he's picking a fight. Because if I can't heal him, then they're going to attack us. And so he's all worried about it. And so Elisha hears about it. And Elisha, uh, he sent the king a message. Why have you torn your robes? Because the king tore his robes. It was like he's in distress. That was a symbolic gesture of God, you know, look, we're, we're in trouble. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. In other words, have Naaman come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, someone who speaks from God. Sounds like, I think this guy was from Texas originally. Because that's how we would talk. Sit him over here. There's a prophet. You know, you're afraid, king. But, you know, I know God. Uh, He had that kind of bold edge to him. But he would have said it in sort of a drawl, too. He said, uh, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. And Elisha, Elisha sent the messenger... Elisha wouldn't even go out and talk to the man, which was, a, which was you know, a faux pas, a social faux pas, because this is an important man who was, all, who was coming representing the king of Syria. And his king, the king of Israel, had sent him to him. Elisha didn't even go out of the house. He just sent his servant out and said this, tell him to go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. So... Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over, the, over me and cure me of my leprosy, right? See, that's what we, we think that God, it, we, we have a little <laughs> preconceived idea about how God works. And we want it, you know, because, because he would come out and he would make a show of Naaman. Oh, you're so special, you know, and it's like he would show Naaman all this respect. Do you understand? Because Naaman was used to being respected. It was a big deal. He was an important person. 
And everywhere he went, people treated him that way. Well, the prophet didn't treat him that way. Kind of bothered him a little bit. He was probably from Texas, too. And he said, are not these, these rivers in Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. Probably a humbling experience. And as the man of God had told him, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like a little baby. See the picture there? Born again. His, he was cleansed when he obeyed God's word. When he, when he listened to God's messenger. You see? Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And he wanted to give him gold and silver and clothes, and the prophet wouldn't take it. You can tell he wasn't an Italian evangelist. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was just a softball that was just hanging there. I couldn't resist it. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't say any names. I just... The general profession. So, Naaman thought he deserved healing and he thought he could buy healing. But what he found was that, that, that God's salvation comes by grace. It's God's mercy. You can't do anything to earn it. And, and Naaman struggled to believe God's word. He struggled to believe what God was trying to say to him. That's a sign that we're encountering grace when, when we struggle to believe what God has for us, like Naaman did. Just like Nicodemus was struggling. You see this? And when Nicodemus would have thought of this story, he would have identified with the prophet as the teacher of the untutored and the outsider. But the truth was, Nicodemus was saying, you're like Naaman. Which, the, Jesus was always reversing things. He was constantly taking the story as we understood it and turning it on its head. And he, really, he was turning it right side up. He's the, he comes as the light of the world to, to try to show us the truth. And show us, in, in his own life and how he taught, in his interaction with others, what God had been trying to get through to everybody. And so... Nick, Nick still doesn't get it. And he goes, how can this be? You know, does it, is it really work this way? I mean, I've taught my whole life all these people something that's wrong, that, that I need to apply these lessons to me. And it was, it was hard for him to hear that. Do you understand? If you're used to being, getting, getting a lot of respect, just like Naaman. You see, Naaman was used to things a certain way. Nicodemus was used to something like that in his setting. And Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you have to humble yourself. Now, Nicodemus had, had, had taken some steps in humility. But we're, when we're trying to get to God, we're always willing to do something a little beyond what we think we would. And we think that's such a big deal, right? Oh, gosh, you know, I went to church once this year. 
I went to a Bible study. I opened the Bible. I'm really a, a deep spiritual thinker. You know, because I, the last five years, I'd never opened the Bible once. And so God must see that I'm earnest and sincere. And I think Nicodemus had some of that same sense of, you know, he was, he was and, and he was moving towards God. But Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you still don't really get it. You don't get who I am and how important I am. You don't get that this whole thing that you've been taught is about me. It's about being, being focused on me and knowing me. Now, I'll, I'll get to that. And so, he realized right there, he didn't just need a little more knowledge. And you may be trying to figure out, how does Jesus fit into my life? And you have a spirituality that's a knowledge-based spirituality. That meaning, if you just get enough knowledge, like our economy is an information-based economy now. We're inundated with this. If we just have the right information, we can control things. We can make a living. We can, you know, the world works for us if we have enough information. But what, this was a man who was Israel's teacher. And Jesus was saying to him, you don't just need more information. Information isn't bad, but when it comes down to it, he was saying you don't need more than you have. You need to look at the information you have in the right way, and you need to do certain things that are going to be challenging for you to do. And again, when he said, uh, back, to the, back to John 4, when he says, uh, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born of water and the Spirit, the phrases he uses there, and the, the water and the Spirit, and the wind and the Spirit... These are all Old Testament phrases. If you go back in the Old Testament, salvation and water are side by side over and over and over. God saved Noah through the flood. God brought Israel out of Egypt through the the sea, the river. Over and over and over, you can see this theme of the activity of God's Spirit and, and... the, the image of water and of wind and of rain just connected together. And he's calling Nicodemus to see, Nicodemus, you need something from God that you can't manage and control. Now, Nicodemus knew that. He just didn't know it, that it was going to be applied in a way it was come to him in the package of Jesus. He was, he was thinking a little different than his countrymen, but he wasn't thinking in line with, with Jesus and with God's will. And so, the next thing that Jesus, when he says, how can this be? And I think, like I said before, that he's like saying, you're kidding me. You know, I need to be like Naaman. So Jesus takes him, he says, you're Israel's teacher, you don't understand. Just like Naaman didn't understand. Naaman thought he had it figured out. He didn't. You don't, Nicodemus. You don't have it figured out. And that's hard on any of us. Because, you know, we pride ourselves in being people who are informed. You know, we constantly are, are looking at and accessing all the information we can. We read. You know, s- someone said recently that uh, in terms of work, people on the job 
when they're not doing their work, do two things. The, the thing that they do most at work besides doing their work is they surf the internet. And when they're on the internet, the thing that they do second most is they go on LinkedIn looking for a job. <laughs> Did you know that, that research has actually shown that? So I don't know where that was going, but I just thought it was an interesting little fact. So Jesus tells this guy, you, you need more information, and you're, and you're not different than those Gentiles that you look down your nose at. You're not. No one sees the kingdom. No one enters the kingdom unless they're born again. And he's still scratching his head. Okay, born again. Naaman, born again, okay. And then Jesus throws in this thing about the Son of Man is going to, going to be lifted up like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So Jesus, again, a lot of us don't know that story very well. You might know it vaguely. But there's a story in Numbers chapter 21 where the Jewish people are out in the desert and they've left, the, they've, excuse me, they've left Egypt and they're in the desert traveling towards the promised land. And on their travel there, as they're getting there, they have a lot of adventures and, and some of them are you know, not uh, good adventures. And this is one of those stories and one of those incidents in the history of Israel that's recorded that, that is very pertinent to us. And Jesus, and it was really pertinent to Jesus. And again, it's one of those stories that Nicodemus would have understand a certain way. He would interpret it a certain way. And Jesus is reinterpreting it for him. And in the story, the Jewish people, you know, literally, probably about three and a half million people are traveling through the desert. And they're stopping and setting up camp. They find water here and there. And God is feeding them every day and every evening, miraculously, with bread and meat. And they find wells and water sources here and there in the desert. But it's kind of rough. You know, the desert's the desert because there's not a lot of good water there. And even though God is miraculously doing things for them, here's the problem. They're getting sick of eating the same food every day. And God, at one point in the, in the situation they're in... They need to go from point A to point B, and in their minds, it's a straight line. But there's a reason why Moses doesn't want to take them in a straight line. He takes them around this one region, and there's a reason for it. And they kind of get ticked off because they're going, we don't want to be stuck out in this desert any longer than we have to. And you're making us, you know, detour around, right? You ever done that before? And you go, why can't I just go through that, Right? I actually got stuck once when I went around a barrier. <laughs> it's a long story. We'll get into it. But I know how they felt. And so what happened was they started complaining against God and against Moses and said, you've just brought us out in the wilderness to kill us all. And you give us crappy food and the water's bad and there's not enough water and blah, blah, blah. Well, God didn't just you know, get ticked off at that. What they did there was a serious sin. It wasn't just complaining, like, uh, things are not, you know, like, it wasn't sin in your suit back. You, know, you understand? This was a serious complaint against God who was miraculously providing them food, who delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and they're complaining about the trip. And so God sends 
snake, and I'm going to tell you why it's so serious here in a second, because you may think, this is another one of those crazy examples of how messed up the, the, the Jewish God was. God sends serpents that bite them as judgment, and many of them begin to die, and they start crying out to God and say, oh God, we're sorry, they realize. And there's a, there's a, 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 there's a spiritual picture that's being shown here that you've got to get. When, when snakes bite you, there's roughly four different ways that, that venom, four categories of venom. And when, when you're bitten, the toxins in different snakes' venoms, some of the toxins attack your heart. Some of the toxins attack your, the, mem, the cell membrane of, of every cell in your body. Some of the toxins attack the, the, your nervous system. Well, they all attack your nervous system in certain ways, but in particular, they attack your nervous system in a way that makes you start cramping up and get paralyzed. You know when you have a cramp, you wake up in the middle of the night, you, got, you, know, you're, you're, you, know, you get a cramp, you got a cramp in your calf. Anybody else have that happen? Like, and it's so painful. You go, ah. I, sometimes I get out of bed, I'm going, ah, ah. And can't just, Is it your heart? You know, because I have a heart condition. I go, no, I got a cramp. <laughs> I got a cramp. I'm sorry, I don't know why it's making that noise. But, but imagine your whole body cramping for hours and hours and hours as it's slowly becoming more and more paralyzed until you die. That's, that's one of the ways that toxins... Another way that, that these t- venomous toxins attack our system is they attack our blood coagulation and your blood gets thicker and thicker and thicker and you start having strokes and you start seizing up until you die. Uh, the, the one that attacks your heart... Uh, affects your heart and creates an irregular heartbeat or eventually just creates a cardiac arrest until uh, only after you've had these cramps and paralysis and you die. And I think it went the fourth, the fourth way. But the, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's a, some of you are going, I know I hate snakes. Now I know why. Snakes, yeah. But the truth is, Venom is something that attacks you inside your body. And, and the, the Jewish people in the wilderness, their complaining against God was an attitude that came from their hearts. And it began to destroy their lives. And it destroyed their community. Because they began to judge God. And they began to complain. Again, it wasn't just sending God's soup back. It was way more substantial than that and way more uh, corrupting. And so when God judges sin, it's because of the damage that sin does. And back to Naaman, leprosy in the Old Testament was a type of sin. In other words, what leprosy did was it rotted your body little by little. Your fingers would rot off and your extremities would slowly rot off and you'd lose your feeling in your hands and feet and your body. And, and people sometimes would be burned and cut and hurt and not even know it. Because leprosy would attack your nervous system. And you could be injured and you could have a terrible infection and, you know, you wouldn't even feel it. And you're walking around. It could be on your back. You have a scratch on your back that becomes this terrible 
infection, and you wouldn't know it. And leprosy also is very contagious. Not as contagious as some people think, but it is contagious. And so lepers would, would be sequestered in colonies. And you, know, you look at this, and you, and you see this is what sin does. You know, sin just corrupts us. And so what God told Moses to do was this judgment that had come upon Israel as they're crying out, now Moses, pray for us. God says, Take, make a, a bronze serpent, a symbol of the snake's that are biting the people because, see, they were dying already because of the sin. They already had the poison of sin that was killing them and killing their community. The judgment was just a, a picture of that. He said, take that, the bronze snake that you make and put it on a pole and put it in the middle of the camp and whenever anyone's bit, they can look at that pole and they'll be healed. They look at the snake that's on the pole in, 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 a, in, a, in an attitude of faith and repentance. And they would believe that, that God's mercy would come through the look on this snake. And again, all this is, you understand, it's all connected together. And the Jewish people were, were in trouble because they had rejected God who had taken care of them and they, reje- they weren't listening to Moses. And what was, what was Nicodemus and the Jewish people struggling with? Listening to Jesus. And when Nicodemus would have read that story, he would have always emphasized, uh, excuse me, he would always have identified with the character of Moses, the lawgiver, the faithful man. But the truth was, Jesus was saying, and, and when those, believe me, when you're, when, when you've been bitten by a snake and you're slowly shaking and feeling, you, you're, you know you're going to die like these other people all around you have been dying, a, a long, slow, painful death. And then, you know, you beg your friends, drag me over to the, where I can see the snake. You look at it and all of a sudden the pain just starts subsiding and leaving. I mean, imagine the joy that comes. You, you guys know what it's like when you've had a bad cold or you had some kind of illness and, and, it, and it breaks, the fever breaks, whatever, and you feel better it's like being born again. There's these parallels. Nicodemus would have listened to that story and he would never have seen himself as the Israelites who were being bitten by the snakes as judgment for their sins of unbelief and judging God's leader and not really receiving his word. But that's what Jesus was trying to get across to him. And he, but... They didn't have a snake on a pole anymore. They had a sacrificial system. So Jesus, and he knows that Nicodemus understands that, and he says, the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself, has to be lifted up. And he'll be lifted up in the camp of Israel that whoever looks at him wouldn't perish, but have life. Now, it isn't just looking at him. That would be a superficial way of trying to understand it. It means to... Put your complete trust and faith in the power of this object to save you. And so he's saying, when, when you're in the grip of sin, Nicodemus, you're, you're not any different than these pagans that you look down at. You can't see the kingdom and experience it 
unless you're born again. And you can't be born again unless you look to the bronze serpent. And I am the bronze serpent. I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to suffer and die for you. And what God's calling you to do is to put your faith in me. And if you put your faith in me, as my life is poured out, as I die, as I suffer and die, the life I have that you so admire comes into your life and makes you alive. And, as Steve said earlier, makes you God's friend. We become God's friend by putting our faith in Jesus. And then the life of Jesus begins to come in us by His Spirit because the Spirit comes when we believe in Jesus. And then we begin to come alive. And like Naaman, we experience a new life. And like the Jewish people, we experience life from death after we've been bitten by something, a venomous toxin that's inside us. See how comprehensive Jesus is? He, he talks about the, the skin corruption and he talks about the, the, this inner depravity and how they needed to be rescued from that. And he says the only way you can get rescued is by the Spirit. It's like being born from above. That God's Spirit comes into your life and you experience this spiritual rebirth that you can't produce, that you can't manufacture, that you can't manipulate, that you can't coerce God into. You can only receive it if you humble yourself like Naaman did. And it's not through baptism. Because baptism wasn't a key thing. Because it was believing. The, the thing was, he had to believe God's word and then go do the baptism. Faith is what God's looking for. And faith is this trust in your heart in the one or in whatever you're putting your faith in. And Jesus is calling for us to put our trust in Him. That's where this born-again experience comes from. And you can't see God. You can't have a relationship with God. You can't become God's friend unless you really put your trust, your whole trust of your whole life in Jesus, that He's the one that will bring you the eternal life that God's promised. And so Nicodemus had to... Now Nicodemus later on... In this story, you don't find out what he did with that. But if you read later on in the Gospel of John and the Gospels, it says that Nicodemus became a believer. He became a follower of Jesus. And it was very costly for Jewish people to follow Jesus. There was a, a lot of stress put upon them socially from people who didn't want to follow Jesus. And if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. People are not going to treat you well all the time. And it won't always be a, a direct-in-your-face thing. It, it can be sometimes. You can be discriminated against just because of your faith in Christ. But a lot of times it'll just be something that'll cost you socially. People that you want to think well of you won't like you the way they used to. Because if you're following Jesus, you just won't live the way you used to live. You won't. The question is, and this is what, when you read this, Jesus ends this with this real in-your-face little statement. He basically says, how you respond to me shows if you're on the side of light or darkness. Now, Nicodemus would have always thought, I'm on the side of light because I do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Jesus says, that's not, important, not, that's not unimportant what you're saying you base your faith on. What he's saying, though, is 
something new has come along. And how you relate to me, because I'm the light that's coming into the world, is going to show whether you're really on the side of light or not. Because if you reject me, you can't be on the side of light. You're on the side of darkness. Because again, Nicodemus would have heard those two stories and known there's two choices that you make. You either live life on your own terms or, 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 or somebody's terms or you live them on God's terms. And God's terms are surrender your life to my son Jesus and follow him. And it's crazy as it sounds to look at a snake on a pole and be healed of a snake bite. It sounds crazier to say my life is a moral mess and a spiritual mess and believing in the martyr of uh, the martyrdom of a Jewish carpenter who died 2,000 years ago, how could that have any effect on my life today? But it has, and it does, and it always will. Because God said, that is the only place on earth that you can guarantee that my grace will be revealed profoundly to anybody that will humble himself and, and put their trust in my son who is rejected by everybody. Because the Gospel of John starts where he wrote and he said, Jesus is the light and he came into the world and he came to his own, the Jewish people who lived at that time, who had been prepared for him. He said his own didn't receive him or welcome him. But some of them did. And those that did welcome him, to those he gave the right to become a child of God or a friend of God. So maybe you're here today and you've already sorted out the idea of who Jesus is. But maybe you've lost sight of the fact that life is not supposed to be run by your agenda. You need to come towards Jesus just like Nicodemus did and just say, here's what I know about you. What else do I need to know? What else do I need to do? What do you want to say to me? Maybe you need to realize that complaining, not against preachers, but against God's words spoken to you is, is complaining against God and, it, and it's something that's a significant issue with God. That God takes it seriously. And again, I'm not talking about listening to me. I'm talking about God speaking to you through people. Because He does speak through people. He really does. And ultimately, it's His Word that you're pushing back against. And are you pushing back against God's Word? Do you think you have it figured out already? The story of Nicodemus tells us we have far less figured out than we, than we think we do. We think we've got this much figured out. And, and this was a noble man. This guy had a lot on the ball. But he thought he knew this much and he really only knew that much. And it took some straight talk from Jesus to get him to realize how much he was missing but even a man like that had pride. Even a man like that was stubborn and selfish and self-willed. We all are. Jesus is the only one who wasn't proud. He's the only one who wasn't proud, who's ever lived. And he says, if you come to me and you put your trust in me, that life I have will come into you. And you'll be born again. You will start your life over again. Same body, same memories, same address, different 
heart, different life. You've been born from above. Something happens to you that God does that you can't do for yourself. And Nicodemus was big on what God had called the Jewish people to do, to obey the covenant, to, to follow all the stipulations of the law. And he was really serious about that. And Jesus said, you failed. You failed as much as any Gentile. You're never going to be able to get approved by God that way. Give it up and trust me. And God will accept you as if you've kept the law perfectly, even though you haven't, if you just put your trust in me. And then I will give you the ability to begin to keep the law in a way that you never could before. Because it would come from your heart in a new way that you can't ever manufacture. And you'll begin to enter into a life of love, of a relationship with God and with other people that you can't ever hope to achieve on your own. Now that's what the Bible calls good news. And what Jesus started with was, he said no one, and he was, he, he's giving these qualifiers. No one can see that if, unless they're born again, and you're born again only by faith in me. But then at the end, he goes, everyone, all, anyone, the world. The, the gospel says to each of us, you have been measured and evaluated and categorized and limited and held back and stopped every way possible. But you're the person that God calls to be one of his friends through faith in his son Jesus. And nothing you've done is going to disqualify you from that except if you don't want it. Because Jesus says, he speaks to Nicodemus who thought of a relationship with God in terms of what we do and the merit and the effort, which limits a lot of people because a lot of people just aren't that really serious about faith. And Nicodemus was very proud of that whole understanding and his practice of that, but Jesus showed him, that's not enough, Nicodemus. You're with the people that you've written off that you've disqualified. Because that's one of the things that the teachers in Israel did. They winnowed the ranks of the people who were interested in God. Jesus came along and said, I want everybody, everybody. All of you are disqualified, but everybody is welcome. How does that work? Jesus made this, this invitation. He just said, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish like the people who've been bit by snakes, the people who are rotting, their their bodies rotting from leprosy, who have inner corruption and outer corruption, whose lives are unmanageable, as we say in AA, and out of control. That Jesus says, come to me and I'll Make your life over again. I'm the only one that can do it. I'm the only one that's died and buried and risen again and sits at the right hand of God and is on your side. And if you put your faith in me, you'll become a friend of God. Now, some of you have never done that before. I'm going to pray in just a second here. And I want to ask you, would you think about, maybe God's speaking to you about that. Maybe you've been thinking about this Jesus thing for a while. And it's time for you to respond to him. There's, there's, I, I know every time... Every week, there's always people who are at that place. And is that where you're at? Are you like Nicodemus today? 
I don't mean literally you're like him in his circumstances, but you realize you're like him spiritually. And, and you kind of hear that, you know, knocking on the door of your heart, so to speak, metaphorically. Jesus is saying, he's calling you by name. He's saying, I want you to know the life and freedom that, I'm, that I've offered people, that other, the people you know have experienced. And all you have to do is say yes to it. All you have to do is open your heart up to me and put your trust in me. It's a simple thing. You don't have to have all of that figured out now. You just have to be willing to really trust him with your whole life. Because to look to that snake or to look to the Son of Man means to trust and depend in a way that's not superficial. It means with your whole heart. That you're going to trust that what he can do for you, nobody else can do for you, and he will do it for you. That he will forgive you of your sins. That he will give you a new heart. That he will begin to guide you in your life. That you'll experience his love in ways that you couldn't have imagined. On, in, in our entryway out there, there's these two blank uh, boards that you're seeing. There's only one little uh, card on it. We were trying to get you guys to, to write, ant, uh, write requests, prayer requests. And, and, and there's a two-part sheet out there that says there's a prayer request and then there's an answer to it. And we all have lots of prayers that we've asked God for. Some of them, he hasn't answered them yet in the way we'd like, but we're still praying. Uh, some of us have seen things we prayed get answered. And there's one out there. And it's, an, it's just an example. Someone wrote and said, I was praying because I hate my job. And I was really miserable. And one day, uh, one of the teachings talked about how God can help you, you know, find satisfaction at your job. And so I prayed and God changed my heart, and it, it, it made everything completely different. God heard my prayer and changed my heart. And they were really touched. God heard their prayer. That's, we're going to fill that board over the next few weeks and months.